Can you give us a station ID? They'll kill me if I don't, I don't ask. I'd hate to see you killed. This is Steve Robinson, temporarily back on Earth, in Davis on KDVS 90.3. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. There is uh, quite a bit going on in the world in the last week, Uh, most of it bad. We're going to talk about what's going on in the Middle East uh, sometime in our probably first and third segments today. But in segment two, we're going to look back 10 years at something we find quite remarkable and worthy of discussion. The fact that the United States Navy shot down a commercial jetliner and killed 230 people by accident 10 years ago Monday. In our second segment, we're going to speak with Dr. Tom Stalka, president of the Flight 800 Independent Researchers Organization. We think you can learn a lot by tracing how the government deals with um, spin control, and there was never more masterful a case of manipulating uh, the data that's out there than the case of TWA Flight 800. You've been told, uh, apparently with a straight face, that uh, what happened in this case 10 years ago was that, well, the Boeing 747 just spontaneously exploded. Apparently they do that now and again. Obviously, if that were true, they would ground the aircraft until corrections were made. But as you may have noticed, may or may not have noticed, and probably have not noticed, in the past decade, no such corrective actions have ever been taken for that airplane. That's our topic in our second segment. I think you'll find it interesting, so please stay tuned for that. On this date in history, which is July 20th, in 1969, beings from planet Earth traversed the quarter of a million miles to land on the neighboring planetoid, the better known as the moon, fulfilling a pledge to accomplish exactly that made eight years previously by President John F. Kennedy. It was a truly remarkable accomplishment putting Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the moon uh, in 1969, and I wish they would have a national holiday to commemorate the event. Uh, They've talked about it, but so far no action. Much earlier on this date, in fact on July 20th, 1715, the British Riot Act went into effect. The act prohibited assemblages of more than 12 people. If larger groups assembled, they were read the Riot Act, which called upon them to disperse. Later in the 18th century, when uh, the North American colonies rebelled from Britain, it was felt uh, that the right to peaceably assemble was important, and it was incorporated in the U.S. Constitution. On this date in 1948, President Harry Truman instituted the first peacetime draft in the history of the United States, underlining the urgency of his administration's concern about possible military confrontation with the Soviet Union. Six years later, on the same date, the French signed an armistice with the Viet Minh, which ended French involvement in Vietnam and separated into North and South. 
These uh, two events, separated by six years in time, were to become blended in the 1960s when the United States took the place of the French and got involved in the quagmire in Vietnam using a military draft to provide the manpower to run amok in Southeast Asia without a clear idea of what we were going to accomplish. Regrettably, these many years later, we are seeing history repeat itself with the ill-advised adventure in Iraq. Another conflict in which we are meandering about without any clear goal as to what we are attempting to accomplish. One thing it is accomplishing, which by the way the Vietnam War accomplished uh, as well, is feeding the military-industrial complex, the giant war machine which takes our tax dollars and hands them over to people who make armaments. I think we need a bit of levity on, uh, on our program today, perhaps more than ever. And so I think we'll go to our old friend, Mr. Dave Barry, for an email that was sent to me, uh, reminding me of how funny Dave Barry was. These, were part, these came from his Rules to Consider, Things to Keep in Mind as You Go Through Life. We'll do five of them. Number one, according to Dave Barry, experience is a wonderful thing. It enables you to recognize a mistake when you make it again. According to Dave Barry, there's a very fine line between hobby and mental illness. (laughs) He notes, I think accurately, that people who want to share their religious views with you almost never want you to share yours with them. Dave Barry notes that it ain't the genes that make your butt look fat. (laughs) And lastly... If you had to identify, in one word, the reason why the human race has not achieved and will never achieve its full potential, that word would be meetings. We send that one out in particular to our uh, regular emailer, Shanta. Speaking of email, uh, our bicycling correspondent, Radio Parallax's own bicycling correspondent, Mr. Paul Dorn, took exception to our, uh, our rather irreverent look at the World Cup on last week's program and sent us the following. Doug, I hope you're doing well. I was sad to hear your rather uninformed commentary on the World Cup on Thursday's show with Sean Minton. Being resident of the U.S. of A., I expect juvenile commentary on world football. What Americans don't understand, they dismiss. It's the height of imperial arrogance. But I really expect better from Radio Parallax. Skipping down. To me, the mark of a true enlightened cosmopolitan person is enthusiasm for football, known as soccer among the beer-swilling NASCAR enthusiasts of the U.S. of A. Final paragraph. I enjoyed the 2006 World Cup enormously, possibly the best World Cup experience I remember thanks to advanced technology. Euro football podcasts, informative websites, cell phone conversations with my former roommates, and the Euro time difference was much less daunting than the 2002 event. My wife and I went to the Alliance Francaise in SF for several France matches shown in their cinema. There were huge crowds all over SF for the World Cup final. Anyway, I was disappointed by your show. Enough said. Well, I have to laugh because we, we are very we're very fond of Mr. Dorn, and we thank you, Paul, for your contribution to the program. But rather than tediously restate our position on this, I would like to quote from someone we don't normally agree with. This would be from The Weekly Standard, a notoriously conservative publication. But uh, let's just quote from 
Frank Cannon and Richard Lesnar writing in the Weekly Standard. So many matches seem to end 0-0 or 1-1 that, in truth, soccer could be played without using a ball at all, and few would notice the difference. For the chain-smoking nihilists who occupy Europe, the dearth of goals makes soccer a perfect metaphor for the meaninglessness of life. But here in America, we still believe the world makes sense, and that the expenditure of effort results, or should result, in achievement. Americans are also justly suspicious of a sport that arbitrarily forbids the use of hands. Last time we checked, it was the human hand with its opposable thumb that set us apart from the animal world. All right, final item from Entertainment Weekly on the topic of uh, World Cup. It noted that Hollywood Studios no longer release potential international blockbusters in June because the world is so distracted by the World Cup soccer tournament. This year, the games were expected to attract a cumulative global TV audience of $32.5 billion. So there you have it. It appears that most of the world agrees with our bicycling correspondent, Mr. Paul Dorn. We reserve the right, as always, of course, to respectfully disagree. And uh, Paul, if you're listening, you're welcome to come back on the show and update us on, on bicycling, the World Cup, and anything else you feel like. You are, after all, our bicycling correspondent. Our quote of the day comes from sociologist Helen Merrill, perhaps appropriate to our previous conversation, who noted that one of these sources of pride in being a human being is the ability to bear present frustrations in the interests of longer purposes. We have two stats of the day. The first from the Washington Post. Americans will spend $22 billion on luxury bathrooms this year, about 10 times what the federal government will spend on AIDS research. And according to Money Magazine, the advice of Wall Street pros isn't very reliable. Right before the 2000 stock market crash, buy recommendations outnumbered sell recommendations 37 to 1. The magazine noted that 63%, that's almost two-thirds, of large-cap mutual fund managers underperformed an S&P 500 index fund over the last decade. An index fund, of course, is where they just simply set out to buy a representation of everything in the market to thus mirror what the market is up to. Two-thirds of people who set out to do better than that fail. It would remind you of the Sacramento Bee uh, exercise about 10 or 12 years ago where they asked money managers to buy stock. They had 2,000 hypothetical dollars to invest to see how they did. And just to balance it out, they went down to the Sacramento Zoo, held up the paper, and bought whatever the orangutan reached out and touched. For the record, out of eight money managers, the orangutan took third. So when I listen to Tom Sullivan, blah, 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 droning monotone, talking his way through about how you ought to invest your money, I'd like to stack up Tom against the orangutan. Just see how he does. <laughs> All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week for setting the record straight. 
last week after <laughs> Rolling Stones guitarist Keith Richard admitted that the tree he fell out of last May, forcing a six-week delay in the band's worldwide tour, was just a few feet high. It certainly was not a coconut tree, Richard said. It was just a little tree. Conversely, the magazine judged it a bad week last week for calling your ex-girlfriend at 3 a.m., noting the launch of the Samsung LP4100, a cell phone that requires the user to pass a breathalyzer test before making a call. And it was an ugly week last week for a free enterprise when it was noted that the Cleveland City Council is considering a law that would require ice cream vendors to pass a background check. I want to make sure the people that are passing out ice cream to our kids are not perverts or trying to lure our kids close to the trucks, said Councilman Zach Reed. We need to check these dudes out. We can't just give them a license. These little kids go right up to the truck. They hear the music and, and they run right there. We're going to have to put a call into former Cleveland Mayor Dennis Kucinich, I think, on that one and see what he's got to say about uh, what the Cleveland City Council's up to. Anyway, that's it for the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, we have to address what's going on uh, over in the Middle East. The events going on west of Iraq have currently grabbed uh, page one headlines um, all over the world. But I wanted to read something from an article in the Sacramento Bee from June 29th that I think uh, we just have to address. On June 28th, the results of a national security poll, a poll of experts, was released. It noted that the United States is losing its fight against terrorism, and the Iraq war is the biggest reason why, according to more than eight of ten American terrorism and national security experts. One participant in the survey, a former CIA official who described himself as a conservative Republican, said the war in Iraq has provided global terrorist groups with a recruiting bonanza, a valuable training ground and a strategic beachhead at the crossroads of the oil-rich Persian Gulf. The war in Iraq broke our back in the war on terror, said the former official Michael Schurer, author of The Imperial Hubris, a popular book critical of the Bush administration. Quote, it has made everything more difficult and the threat more existential. More than 100 national security and terrorism analysts were polled, 45 identified themselves as liberal, 40 said they were moderates, 31 called themselves conservatives. Asked whether the United States is winning the war on terror, 84% said no, 13% said yes. Asked whether the war in Iraq was helping or hurting the global anti-terrorism campaign, 87% answered that it was undermining those efforts. Obviously, the views of these analysts were starkly at odds with those espoused by President Bush. This article by Bob Deans in the Cox News Service noted that the public was giving Bush higher marks in his effort than the policy experts surveyed. An ABC News Washington Post poll on June 22nd to 25th noted that 57% of respondents said that America's efforts to fight terrorism are going well. But, said Army Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, one of the participants, bombs, bullets, and bayonets are not the answer to this problem. 
Wilkerson criticized the Bush administration for what he called an over-reliance on the military in the anti-terrorism campaign. Like many other analysts polled, Wilkerson stressed the need to increase U.S. diplomacy and other sources of so-called soft power to help win hearts and minds across the Muslim world. We think one way to win some hearts and minds in the Muslim world might be to take very seriously the arrest of Army PFC Stephen Green for raping and murdering an Iraqi teenager along with her younger sister and mother and father. So far, the U.S. military has identified four more soldiers involved in this event that involved raping a teenager and killing her relatives. Another soldier was charged in the matter last month. Authorities also charged a sixth soldier for failing to report the incident. It's been noted that an Iraqi militant group released a video showing the bodies of two U.S. soldiers it said were tortured and killed as revenge for our sister who is dishonored by a soldier of the same brigade. We supposedly invaded Iraq to bring democracy and stability to the country, but it's been noted that according to Coalition Provisional Authority Order 17, U.S. military members are exempted from prosecution under Iraqi laws. There appears to be very little doubt that this individual, Private First Class Green, is guilty, and I say if they don't have a trial for him and deal with him uh, as he should be dealt with, which would be probably a firing squad, there's going to be more hell to pay over in Iraq. It may well be that the perception that things uh, are going better than they actually are by the public uh, could be influenced by things such as the um, page one story that we'd gotten Zarqawi. Iraqi terrorist Abu Musab al-Zarqawi was taken out last month by by an attack. He was, by I think almost any standard you wish to apply, a rather evil individual. But we would refer you to the Atlantic Monthly's article in the July-August 2006, the current edition, the current issue on stands, Article titled, Inventing Zarqawi, The Making of America's Deadliest Enemy in Iraq by Mary Ann Weaver. The article explains in detail how uh, Zarqawi had met Osama bin Laden, but the two men intensely disliked each other, and Zarqawi was very definitely not under the command of bin Laden. At least five times in 2000 and 2001, Osama bin Laden called upon al-Zarqawi to come to Kandahar and take an oath of allegiance to him. Each time, Zarqawi refused. When the U.S. launched its air war inside Afghanistan, October 7, 2001, al-Zarqawi joined forces then with al-Qaeda and the Taliban for the first time. Zarqawi left Afghanistan for Iran, and by the time that American forces moved into Iraq, he was there, committing numerous terrorist acts, uh, many of which enraged his fellow Muslims which such things as his car bombing outside the Shia Islam's holy shrine in Najaf and his attack in his native Jordan upon people celebrating a wedding at a hotel. Again, an excellent article. We recommend that you take the time to go onto the web or down to your uh, local bookseller and get a copy of this. For the article, they interviewed members of uh, Jordanian intelligence who noted that, quote, the Americans have been patently stupid in all of this referring to their, uh, their pursuit of Zarqawi. They've blown Zarqawi so out of proportion that, of course, his prestige has grown. And as a result, sleeper cells from all over Europe are coming to join him now. 
The intelligence officer paused for a moment and said, your government is creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. We at Radio Parallax thought that would happen, and we said so before we went to war in Iraq in March of 2003, and we're sorry to see that we have been proven right. We'd like to also refer you to the interesting article in Esquire magazine about the curious character of John Walker Lind, the American captured in the Afghanistan war fighting with the Taliban. The article noted that in spite of what you may have heard on Fox News, when they finally went to prosecute John Walker Lind, they had to admit that there was no evidence that he'd ever joined al-Qaeda or that he'd threatened to kill Americans. The government's, the government's negotiator, Michael Chertoff, currently heading the Homeland Security Department, made uh, silence a condition of John Walker Lind's plea. He's unable to uh, talk to anyone except family members, period. He's unable to speak Arabic, period. The article noted that although it dropped all charges against the defendant relating to terrorism, the administration would continue to treat the defendant as a terrorist. It's a sad commentary in this country when you have to go to Esquire magazine and Vanity Fair magazine to read some good reporting about what's going on in the Middle East. All right, we're just about out of time, and we don't have time to deal at length with what's going on with the Israeli attacks on Gaza and Lebanon, except to note that we are deeply disappointed that Israel is going down the same road it went in the 1980s in invading Lebanon. Chaos and disaster resulted. It left them with a much more hardcore adversary in Lebanon than before they started, and now they're going back in again. Apparently the U.S. and British governments are willing to stand by and let this happen. In fact, send in cruise ships to pull people out of the country. Pulling out foreign nationals is only going to give the Israelis a freer hand to do what they're doing. And we're going to have to give you a more detailed analysis uh, next week or the week after. We, we, just, we just have to do this justice. We're going to try and bring on Gil Metavoy. Gil, of course, does Crossing Continents every Sunday here on KDVS. Is very well acquainted with what's going on over there. Connected to some people in the peace movement, we're sure Gil will be very informative. We're going to try and speak with him uh, soon. Just want to go out with one, uh, one letter written to the Sacramento Bee by Philip LaRiviere of Grass Valley, commenting on the article in, in the Bee that, uh, of, a, of a couple days previously. In Don Niesenbaum's analysis of the current Middle East fighting, he leaves out a very important bit of information that may change one's view if it were widely known. The day before the Israeli soldier was taken prisoner... This is referring to Gaza. Israeli Defense Forces kidnapped two civilians, a doctor and his brother, from their Gaza home. Why was that left out of the story? We would note that the coverage in the American media is generally much more favorable to Israel than a more balanced perspective would, um, would provide. And that's, I think, all we can say today. Let's take a break and come back to talk to Dr. Tom Stalkup about what happened 10 years ago Monday just south of Long Island. It's perhaps something we can do nothing about at this later date, but uh, analysis of how this story has been covered is, um, is worthy of consideration. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.